Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. Church, if you would open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We read from John earlier to start our service, and that is our text for the day, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, in the beginning. If you're going to start with John, it's always good to start in the beginning. God loves baseball, if you didn't know that, because in the big inning, and while he watches baseball, he brews coffee. He loves coffee. Some of my favorite things in the world, baseball and coffee. All right, that fell short. Note to self, either you need more coffee or it fell short. I'm going to go with it fell short. When we read in the Gospel of John, this is one of my favorite Gospels. I've preached through it uh, once. I've preached through it again someday. Life groups, D groups will be reading through it uh, for the next several weeks. We'll be in the Gospel of John uh, through uh, October. Um, And uh, we're just going to dive in. It's a great book. It's, It's my favorite of the four Gospels. Um, You may differ in your opinion on that, and that's totally okay, but it's just a fantastic uh, writing from the the Apostle John. Gives a little bit more of a personal side to Jesus, but um, also where he begins is not the birth narrative. He doesn't have a birth narrative. His birth narrative is not there because um, he doesn't go to the moment that uh, the word was... um, Born in the manger, but when, just by saying in verse 14, the word became flesh, that's his birth narrative in verse 14. That's the whole scene of the nativity. That's everything there. Uh, Shepherds, wise men, uh, angels on the hillside, all of that you find in verse 14. The rest of it goes way back in time, uh, way before time. But it's a question for us today in the beginning is who was Jesus? Some time ago, in fact, almost every year, it seems like, Time Magazine um, or at least every other year, Time Magazine will publish an article about Jesus. And this was one, a cover um, from some time ago. Uh, you can see all of the different takes on Jesus through uh, art uh, as they uh, put that together in that uh, mosaic. I, I don't know if that's pretty or not. I don't uh, think that's exactly what he looked like, um, which is the problem with a painting or a picture of Jesus is, um, you know, Ten Commandments say we're not supposed to make an image Um, And uh, we start thinking by the images that we see that he's fair-skinned, blue-eyed, and blonde-haired. No offense if that's who you are, but that's not what Jesus looked like. And we should restrain ourselves from making images um, where we think this is him. But in the article, Who Was Jesus? It is a question that caused pause for some to seriously consider who Jesus was. It struck fear in others. Still others would get angry by reading the article then others would simply want to worship him and say, you know, Time Magazine is not where uh, I get my source of theology from and biblical uh, truth. But I want you to answer that question this morning. Who was Jesus? Actually, let me turn that around, make it present tense, and say, who is Jesus? Because he was, he is, and he will always be. That's the fallacy of Time's article. Uh, The question they asked was, who was Jesus? That tells you immediately who Time Magazine thinks Jesus was. They don't answer who he is, because he still is today. Who is Jesus? John wrote this gospel, if you go to the end, John chapter 20, 
That's not the last chapter, but it is where he gives us his purpose statement for the gospel uh, that he wrote. John chapter 20, verse, uh, verse 31. John there writes, these are written, meaning his gospel. He could not contain everything that's there. That's why you'll find some stories in his gospel that aren't in the other three and some in the other three that are not in his because he could not contain them all. But these are written so that you may what? Believe Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. His whole purpose of writing this gospel inspired by the Lord to put this to paper is so that you would believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and find life in his name. When we look at verses one through five, it is vitally important to understanding John's gospel, his purpose statement in verse 31 of chapter 20, and how he begins this gospel. He didn't say there in the end of his book or the end of his gospel, I've written these things down so that you would have Jesus in your heart. That's not what he said. He said, I have written these things so that you may believe, that you would believe in the identity of Jesus, that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the very Son of God, and that by believing in his existence, his identity, and most of all, his provision for you in the cross and in the resurrection, then you would have life, a life that will come and take over, a life that is reborn in the moment that you trust in Jesus Christ. Let me read this for you again, starting in verse 1, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was... I always get tripped up on verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to your word this morning. It is my prayer, um, as it often is, that you would speak to us as our hearts are open to you. Father, that you would clear our, our head of uh, any distractions. Father, that um, we would simply hear what your word is teaching us today, that our lives and our hearts would be changed forever. What we do not know, teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's answer this question. Who is Jesus? It is an important question because we live in a time, we still live in a time, I think John's day, they lived in that time, and any time in between, they still live in this time where culture is saturated in lots of different ways, lots of spiritual ways. Our culture today is still very spiritual, but it's extremely hesitant to commit to any one certain truth. Some may say that Jesus is a philosopher. You know those, a, a good man a, with, with important things to say and important things to teach. They may equate him with um, other world religious figures such as uh, uh, Buddha or Muhammad or, or political leaders and movements such as Gandhi or some, some others. He was perhaps just another prophet come along in a whole line of prophets all over the world to point yet another way to God. That's why John chapter 1, verse 1 is so vitally important. While time may and other institutions and personalities want to dismiss Jesus, John is introducing Jesus to you. Here for John is the way, the truth, and the life. 
The truth of scripture is that Jesus was more than a good man. He was more than a philosopher. He was not a political leader at all. But here in John chapter one, verses one through five, John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, penning these words for generations to read in his gospel, declares that Jesus is God. Friends, words are powerful. He says, in the beginning was the word. Words are powerful. You remember these words, those of you who passed history and didn't sleep through your history class. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked. Who said that? That's where you slept in class. <laughs> FDR said that to the, to the uh, uh, Congress, to that full house of Congress. Powerful words. As powerful and meaningful as those words were back then when they declared war on Japan, and as other words that we could think of, other sayings, hasta la vista. Yeah, you know, you hear those words from Arnold Schwarzenegger, your life's almost over, right? <laughs> words are powerful. Words are powerful. But they're, not, they're, they're, they're no match for the word of God. In the beginning was the word. Think about the word of God for a moment. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, then God said... Let there be light. He said it, and there was. It says nothing about his hands making the light. It says nothing about his angels making the light as he commanded it. He just said, let there be light, and light came. The light obeyed his voice. The light, the, the light was created by his voice, right? We hear that there, were powerful, uh, there was power in the word of God. Psalm chapter 33 Keep your finger in John chapter 1. Go over to the middle of the Bible. Most of the time it's the middle of the Bible unless you've got one of those great big study Bibles. Then it's off center a little bit. Usually Psalms right in the middle. Find Psalm chapter 33. I've got three stops for you this morning to hear out of this great Psalm. Psalm chapter 33 verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. For the word of the Lord is upright. Not only is the word of God powerful, but the word of God is right and true. Now, today, people love to say, without knowing, in ignorance, that book that you're reading called the Bible is full of errors. Why? Because they watched a video on YouTube of some yahoo out in the middle of nowhere complaining about the Bible. Right? The Bible is not full of contradictions. The Bible complements itself quite well. It has been proven time and time and time again. For the word of the Lord is upright. His word is right and true. Verse 6, same chapter. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. There, not only is his word right and true, but his word is creative. Just like Genesis 1-3, his word is creative. He spoke it and it came into existence. Now go to verse 9. Again, this is the same, uh, same uh, saying the same thing almost as verse 6. He spoke, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. His word is powerful. So it's right and true. It's creative. It's powerful. Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent his word. In Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent his word and healed them. He rescued them from the pit. You get the idea that the word of God is important. 
The word of God has power behind it. The word of God has truth behind it. The word of God has creativity behind it. That doesn't mean that our words are powerful and creative and always right and true. But his word is. Friend, there is no greater revelation of the nature of God and the Father than through the person of Jesus. And that's what John is getting us to in his gospel. He is right off the bat pointing us. It's not about his birth. It's not whether about there's a nativity down at the town square in Christmas time. It is about in the beginning was the word. He was there. In Hebrews chapter one, it tells us that Jesus, the word of God, is the exact expression of his nature. There is no better way to understand and know God the Father than through God the Son. He has displayed him. He has put him on display for all to see. So let's dig into verses 1, 2, and 3 this morning. We're going to go as far as we can go this morning. We may not get to verse 5, but that's okay. We'll tie it all together at the end so you walk out and your shoes are tied and you don't stumble. Who is the Word? Who is Jesus? Let's look at verse 1. He is the Word, right? That's what he says. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. He is the Word, the Logos of God. Jesus personifies the Word of God. He is, in fact, God's Son. As we've heard from Psalm 33, Genesis 1, Psalm 107, Jesus is the powerful, creative Word of God. There is... Nothing to add to him. There is nothing to take away from him. You need to add that line, he is the word, in your notes because I did not put it in there. You're welcome. You don't have a blank on that one, but right in there at the top, he is the word. If we get nothing else today, know that he is the word. The Greeks understood this word logos as an organizing, as the organizing and unifying principle of the universe. It's not personal, it's not a personal force, but an impersonal force that would organize and unify the universe. In other words, it's what would hold it all together. The Old Testament points us in Genesis 1, God said, Let there be light. In Genesis 1:26, let us make man in our image. Psalm 33, the word of the word of the Lord is right, it's powerful, it's right and true, it's creative, it's powerful. That's the Hebrew understanding. And the Greek understanding is that it's an impersonal force unifying all things together. But then we get to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 17. Turn over there. A little Bible drill today. Aren't you happy about that? I love it. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 17, we'll come back to 15 and 16 in a moment, but verse 17, Paul writes, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So you've got the Hebrew understanding that the word of God is powerful, it's creative, it's right and true. God spoke, let there be light, boom, there was light. He's got all of those things. You got the Greek understanding over here that logos, the word is is an impersonal force unifying all things together. And here John is tying the two together and say, 
He's more than just the word of God. It's more than just an impersonal unifying force in the universe. But in Jesus Christ, those worlds collide as he's using two ideas from two different people groups. He's uniting that into the person of Jesus. He's not an impersonal force. He's very much a personal man dwelling in the flesh. He is God dwelling in the flesh. He's not impersonal. He has come to make himself known, to make his father known, and so that you could know him too. He's not just a creative, random voice out there in the universe, but he is, again, God in the flesh, and he is right and true and creative and powerful. So as the Logos, Jesus is God's powerful, creative word. He is what holds it all together. And then John takes it a step further, down in verse 14, by saying, the word has become flesh, and he's dwelt among us. Friends, this is who we worship This is who we pray to when we come in prayer. This is why we get to come to the throne of grace in confidence because this Jesus that we hold to, that we cling to, that we trust in, and that we end our prayers with by saying, in the name of Jesus, we pray. This is who he is. He's not just like this bellhop who's serving us all the time, but he is the son of God. He is God himself. And he was there in the beginning. He was with God and he is God. He is the word of God. In fact, let's look at the next part of this. He is the word. He is also an, an eternal being, an eternal being. In person, Jesus relates to his people. He dies for his people. He he lives for his people, and he's an eternal being. In the beginning, John said, in the beginning. That sounds familiar. It sounds familiar because he's tying the Hebrew world and the Greek world together into this person of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, what? Genesis 1.1. John is connecting Jesus with creation. Before time began was the word. Before time began was the word. Athanasius, who's an old, old, old church father, way back, a long time ago, so old he's got one name. He made this very famous statement. He said, there never was when he was not. There never was when he was not. If we hit the rewind button on our DVR of time, you close your eyes, you try to Wind the clock back as far as you can go to the time of creation. Then Jesus was there. If you're a young earth, you hold to a date of about 6,000 years. The earth is about 6,000 years old. Jesus was before that. If you hold that the earth is millions and millions and millions of years, as science would argue, Go back as far as you can. Jesus is still there. He was there in the beginning. We can't rewind our DVR of time far enough back to when Jesus was not there. In fact, in John chapter 17, verse 5, which we'll get there the first week of October, he prays this, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world Existed. He was there. There never was when he was not. John is saying, no matter how far back we take our minds, however we may conceive 
of the beginning of time, no matter what model we take, when you get there, you'll find already wasing the Son of God. The preexistent Word, the eternal Word of God. He was always wasing. You'll never forget that phrase. In fact, he told the Hebrew people in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. He is also a distinct person from God, yet one with him in personality. Now, I am not going to try to make an attempt to explain the Trinity to you today. There are really thick books that you can read on that, and I will point you in the right direction for people much smarter than me. But we do know that he is a distinct person from God, yet one with him in personality. This is his personality. Jesus shares his nature and being with God. The word was with God. That word there actually means toward God. He was with God, but distinct from the Father and distinct from the Spirit of God. Not in essence, but in personhood. Jesus is active. He was active in the community of the Trinity. He was active in communion with the Trinity. He was active in conversation with God, his Father. We can look into Scripture, read John 17 again, and see his relationship between himself and the Father. In Hawaii, they have a phrase for that. They were talking story. It's where you sit down and visit with one another, face to face, talking story. That's what we find there. He was with God. He is also eternally God. He is an eternal being, but he's also eternally God. Where John says, the word was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is eternally God. So John distinguished the Logos from the Father, but also points to what they have in common, which is their godness, their deity. The word was God. I'll take a moment to explain something to you. That phrase proves a critical and distinguishing point and truth in the Christian faith from other expressions of religion around the world. Primarily, when Jehovah's Witnesses meet to discuss their religion, they pick up a translation of Scripture called the New World Translation. If you opened that book, turned to the Gospel of John, read chapter 1, verse 1, there you would read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, little g. Does that small change matter? Does a simple, little, monosyllable make any kind of difference? By adding that little word, a, they are making a statement that Jesus is something less than fully God. The fact that John wrote, was God, the word was God, he is proving a point. He is making a statement that this Jesus, whom you read about in his gospel, that would come to earth, dwell in the flesh with us, and die on the cross, it doesn't make sense to our, our world. It doesn't make sense to our kind of hero. Our heroes never lose. 
Our heroes can leap tall buildings and run faster than a speeding bullet and stop that bullet if he so chooses. Shoot lasers out of his eyes and, you know, blow cold air. I'm like, where's Superman in the middle of the summertime in South Texas when you need him, right? Just blow some cold air over us, please. Bring relief. Our heroes never die, but this hero would die. They would argue that he may be a god in some kind of sense, and he may may be one of many gods, but he is not the true god is what they will argue. But there is a rule in the Greek grammar of which I am not a scholar, but there is a rule in that grammar that states the way we read it, that the word was God is the correct translation. They have to jump through hoops to get that translation was a god. If they choose to ignore that particular grammar rule, then you can translate it was a god. There's also another word that John could have used here to talk about a, di- a divine being that was not God, but he chose to use the right word, the correct word, which is was God. And the way he ordered it in this way specifically emphasizes that Jesus, the word, was in fact God in the flesh. From the beginning of his gospel, John has stated and will make clear time and time again that Christ is not one of many gods, but he is God himself. Verse 3, we also see that he is eternally creator. Verse 3, he is eternally creator. John tells us that Jesus participated in creation. If you go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, I read verse 17 a moment ago, where he holds it all together. But in chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 16, he says this, For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. This is why we look back on Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, where God says, let us make man in our image. God is speaking to more than one. He's speaking in to the Trinity, speaking to himself, to the Spirit of God, and to the Son of God. Let us make man in our image. Christ was there. Christ was there when everything was formed, and it was formed for him and through him. This is why creation is a major part of Christianity. This is why we stand on creation, the Genesis account of Genesis 1 and 2. You might think we've lost the battle for it, but... The reality is, if we let creation go, then we have let a major work of Jesus Christ himself go. We cannot let that go. The main point of that is that Christ Jesus could not have been created, as some argue, because he is the creator. See, that throws that argument to the side. He wasn't created because he was there in creation. He was in the beginning, he always wasing. <laughs> he always was wasing. See, it's a great phrase. But John chose a word here that invites you to look at all the details, all the things, not just the great big universe, right? Not just the huge humpback whales that go through the oceans or the great white sharks 
or the tiniest little amoeba out in the oceans, not just the smallest details or or the great big redwood trees out in California or our own thousand-year oak tree here in Aransas County, not just the great big details or the beautiful fields of blue bonnets that come in the springtime in Texas, not just the great big details, but the tiniest little bitty things like the hummingbirds that have blessed us the last couple of weeks. Every tiny detail you see, he has designed it. He has created all of it, and he holds it all together. Every bit of it, he's holding it together. Not only does he create, but he also sustains. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Friends, when God is ready for all things to be done, and he sends his son back, and this whole world falls apart, and he creates a new one, that's when it's going to fall apart. Okay? Not a moment before. At the beginning of creation, listen to this paraphrase of verse 1. This is from Murray Harris. At the, be- at the very beginning of creation and time, the word was the perfection, excuse me, the word was the perfect expression of God the Father and had already always existed. And this word was in active communion with God and this word inherently shared the same nature as God. I love that. Why did he come? Well, that's verses four and five and we're gonna look at that quickly. He came because he was light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's present tense, not past tense. It didn't shine back then, and he doesn't shine anymore. He's still shining today. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, and it will not overcome. When did darkness enter the story? Darkness entered the story in the Garden of Eden. Darkness tried to work its crafty schemes to overthrow the King of Heaven and Earth. But John succinctly explains why Jesus came. He came to shine light into the darkness, to overcome the darkness, to overcome our sin. Remember, John's purpose is for you to believe and have life. And in that life, we see Jesus Christ, that, his light shining into our darkness and the darkness of our sin. And when that darkness is exposed, when that sin is exposed, and we are exposed to the holiness of Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who was and is and will always be, who is in the beginning, who is now with God and is God, we have a decision to make. John will say in John chapter 3, The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You have a decision to make. That decision is to trust in Christ Jesus or to turn away and love your sin more than the Savior. Friends, as you read through John's gospel this month in your life groups, your D groups, it is my prayer that you will believe as John has written, that you will believe in the word who was in the beginning the word, the word who was, and the word who is with God, and the word who is God. For this journey is amazing. This Jesus that he's introducing to us in these first five verses, I mean, you go to chapter two, and there's the wedding at Cana and the miracle of water to wine. Ooh, we're Baptist. It must have been Welch's. <laughs> wonder if he got a patent on that recipe for grape juice. Water into wine. Ooh, the word is miraculous. John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Oh, there you go again. Must be born again. 
Always getting into that. Yes, you must be born again. John chapter four, worshiping God is not about a place, but rather about our hearts before him. In spirit and in truth. Oh, friends, the list could go on and on. Abiding. We meet the shepherd, the good shepherd, the door, the gate. We meet the resurrection and the life in John chapter 11. The vine, the true vine that we are to abide in in John chapter 15. I could go on and on and on. But the implications of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 are this. One, friends, God can be known definitely and personally in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him today, I pray you would give your heart to him and trust him. Trust him and believe in him. For he was in the beginning, he was with God, and he is God. Second, know that redemption is possible and is accomplished in Christ Jesus. For Jesus Christ alone is the one mediator between God and man. He is standing between you and God. In fact, when you come to him, he is the only thing that removes the wrath of God from you because he took it upon himself. This is the Jesus we pray. This is the Jesus we worship. He is the word. He was and he is and he will always be. You can trust him today if you have not already. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As we come to our time of invitation and response this morning, we're gonna have just the piano playing in the background. If you need to come to the altar, come. Come pray to the word. To the word of God. Come pray to him, to the Logos, the one who was and is and will always be. You're going to hear a familiar tune being played. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. This is what we do. Turn your eyes upon the word of God. You can come to the altar and pray. If you are ready to receive him, you have not trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life. You know that if you died today, you would be without him. And that is an eternity in hell separated from him. Get that fixed today. Let today be the day of salvation for you. Trust him. Turn your eyes upon him. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our